0: Living Corporate is brought to you by The Group Chat, a bi-weekly web show in the Living Corporate Network that tackles diversity, equity, and inclusion topics. Your jobs, legal, and HR departments would never let fly. With topics like white supremacy at work, finding out that I'm a Karen, decolonizing DEI, racial gaslighting at work, and imposter syndrome while black, you may be able to see why, but you may also be able to see why so many folks love it. Between our incredible host, And our guests, which range from Fortune 500 executives to academics to activists to entrepreneurs, every other Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard is something special. So make sure you check out the group chat on livingcorporate.tv.
1: Hey, everybody, this is See It To Be It, the Saturday podcast from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media platform that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'm the host of See It To Be It. When I was growing up in rural southern Indiana, I didn't know people who went to college or who worked in professional roles. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or how to break into them. But this show isn't about me, it's about my guests. Every Saturday, I bring you career stories from everyday role models in jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is Sam Aleva. Sam is a recovering rocket scientist. This is no joke. She used to be a rocket scientist. Um, Okay, aerospace engineer. And now she's a tech writer with her own company. But before we get to the interview, we're going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice.
2: What's going on, y'all? It's Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I've teamed up with Living Corporate to bring you all a weekly career tip. This week, let's talk about how you can make the case for something I'm pretty sure all of us want, a raise. Have you ever been in a job and felt like you deserved a raise? Well, you can't just ask for a raise because you feel like you deserve one, you have more bills, or you're just in a financial bind. If it was that easy, we'd all be making bank. In order to persuade your boss that they should give you more money, you have to make your case. And to do that, you have to keep track of the things you're doing or have done in your role. If you're sort of lost on where to start with that, check out episode 96 for my 25th tip on this podcast, Living Corporate, called Keeping a Career Journal. Now let's discuss a few ways you can make your case to get more coins. Has your job grown beyond the job description you signed up for, but it hasn't been defined as part of your duties? In the project management realm, we call that scope creep. It's a very common factor in why many of us think we need a raise. We get into a role, we become really good at things outlined for our position, and then we begin to take on other things to help the team, help our boss, or help the overall business. While all that is great and definitely things you should seek to do, you should also be compensated accordingly. Now, I'm not talking about the random one-off tasks your boss asks you to do, as those are probably going to be covered under the other duties as assigned portion of your job description. I'm talking about the consistent recurring tasks that you've taken on that are outside of the scope of your role. When using this route, make sure to clearly identify and showcase the differences between your original job description and what you are currently doing to your manager so you can make your case. Have you exceeded your sales goal every month? Have you driven your projects to completion early and under budget? Did you streamline processes that generated more revenue or other business results? These are great examples of adding value to your company, and they are also great points to make when you're requesting a raise. When companies consider giving you a raise, they wanna know how you have directly contributed to their overarching organizational mission. Document these accomplishments and how they relate to the larger company goals to show your manager the value that you've added to the company. This last option is a little bit risky, and I would only use it as a last resort. Test your value in the market, and what I mean by that is apply to other roles, interview, and try to get an offer. If you land an offer that is higher than your current salary, use that as leverage with your employer to negotiate. Depending on your delivery, this could leave a bad taste in your employer's mouth, or your employer could decide not to budge at all. This is why I call this option risky. But I've also worked for companies that wouldn't even consider giving you a raise until you showed them another offer proving your expertise was worth more elsewhere. Side note, if your company is like that, you might want to just accept that new offer. Making the ask for a raise can be difficult, especially if you don't arm yourself with the reasons why you deserve the raise. Take the time out to really build your case before marching into your boss's office demanding more coins. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn.
0: Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards. The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful, and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out the Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts.
1: Welcome back to See It, To Be It. My guest today is Sam Aliva. Sam owns a technical documentation company called Evergreen Inc., Their mission is to help innovative green tech companies save the planet. Sam is committed to providing exceptional, accurate, and scientifically sound technical documentation to companies who are dedicated to green and clean technologies. Her clients freely innovate on the basis of improving the world while leaving a minimal footprint, and she is thrilled to be part of their extended team. Sam firmly believes in the power of clear, concise, and accurate documentation and how it not only supports all aspects of a business, but also the drive of technological development. Sam, I am so glad to have you here. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure.
1: So I just want to know, first of all, technical documentation is not the kind of thing that you probably, when you were five and somebody said, what do you want to be when you grow up? You Probably didn't say, I want to write tech manuals when I grow up. Maybe you did, but I'm guessing (laughs) you didn't. So, no. can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved in this work and what about it appealed to you?
3: Yeah, sure. so it's a it's a little bit of a a different type of uh, path I took. So when I was five, I was going to be one of the first engineers to build the rocket that got the people to Mars. I wanted to build rockets to get people to Mars. That was my goal. Um, I've always loved space. I've always been super interested in space. And that really stemmed from watching programming such as Bill Nye and, you know, NOAA programming. I was the nerd at heart from like birth. So the whole plan was to go to an engineering school, get my aerospace engineering degree, which I did. I worked for a short stint during high school and in college at a long-term ecological research facility called Harvard Forest near my town. But that was just like a short stint. It was a good job that I learned a lot at, and I went on my merry way, sort of. Um, I went into college, got my engineering degree, um, and started my career in turbo machinery design. So I was working on jet engines, specifically on the HPC, which is the high-pressure compressor. After a few years, I I was bouncing around jobs. I, I had three engineering jobs total. And something that I realized was I didn't really care about the specific industry or application. I really loved learning. I really loved learning about fluid mechanics, which is the main component of aerospace design or aerodynamic design. And I really loved writing about it. I really enjoyed writing the reports that came with my job. So any kind of documentation that my other engineers would need in my internal team and my external team. And I have a lot of friends and family that are very much not in STEM. Um, One of my best friends, she's, you know, creative writer. She does not do math, but when I wrote things accessibly for her, she understood what I was working on. So it was something that I really enjoyed doing was writing about the technologies and and the innovations and and all these solutions and everything for people who weren't in this world to understand. So as I got older, you know, I I worked at these different jobs. I was doing different applications with fluid mechanics. And I started to realize I really liked the writing part, like a lot. Um, As much as I do love my math and science, and they always have a special place in my heart, I really loved writing. So I was actually published in a peer-reviewed journal for one of my articles regarding energy recovery devices. And that was kind of the aha moment, like the validation that, oh, I can write and people do understand it. And it works really well for me. Around the same time, I got very, very ill. And this happened for a few years. I, w- I was kind of down, um, wasn't at my full capacity for a while. And it took a while before I found a doctor who kind of believed me. Um, there were a lot of doctors that didn't kind of fluffed me off, right? So I finally found one who believed in me and she fixed me up. And I had like this whole fresh perspective on life. I, I healed up. I became myself again. And so I was like, okay, I have a new start. What am I going to do? I love engineering, but I just got this paper published. I really enjoyed writing it. I really enjoyed revealing those, like the implications behind the data to those who are not so intimately aware of these technologies. And at the same time, I was thinking, okay, how can I have a bigger impact? That little short stint I had at the long-term ecological research facility that I worked at, that kept popping in my brain. And I was working on a green tech com- uh, technology anyways in my engineering job. So I was like, okay, I'm having a pretty good impact here but how can I have a bigger impact globally for climate change specifically? And it just kept jabbing at me, you know, the the guilt, like, all right, I know it needs help. I know I have the brains to help it. How can I have the bigger impact? So that's when everything kind of came together. And I realized I could start a technical writing company that focused on green tech companies to help further all sorts of technologies. And at the same time, get that information to people who are not, in that world, so trying to influence the global community to realize how important these technological advances are, and try to propel them forward uh, for the betterment of everybody, right? So it was, it's a weird path, <laughs> but that's that's kind of how my career has gone so far.
1: That is amazing to hear all of the different. You know, I call them lily pad steps, right? You jump from one lily pad to another to kind of get you know until until all the dots connect, and you kind of see what the full pattern is, right? And so many people, I will tell you, (laughs) are so much older than you before that picture comes full circle. And they see, you know, here are the ways that these different passions and these different skills and these different strengths fit together into something that is not only fulfilling, but also valuable to the world. And so I applaud you for being able to put all of that together so early in your career. I know it doesn't feel early to you, but some of us are, you know, have a few decades on you are still trying to figure this out.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you.
1: There is so much in this. I mean, you're a bona fide rocket scientist. Like that's pretty damn cool, right?
3: (laughs) Like when somebody says it it is really fun. It's a wicked cool industry to get into if you have that mindset or that type of brain for sure.
1: Yeah. So what once you got in, right? So like growing up and you're looking at, you know, you're watching movies and watching documentaries about, you know, Moon Rovers and Mars Rovers and Got to fulfill your dream, which is so cool. What surprised you once you got there that you weren't expecting?
3: So, I'll speak to engineering first because that is the majority of my career so far. Engineering, the first day of school, I was so excited. I'll never forget. I had, you know, my new backpack for college, Um, you know, just a little brown girl, all excited to start college, right? And uh, I walk into class, it was Calc 2. I walk into class and I was the only one, right? I was the only brown girl and I was the only girl which is pretty prevalent in engineering circles, right? It's, it's pretty male-dominated and especially white male-dominated. That's just how it is right now. We are getting better, right? We have more women going into STEM fields, but that was just the case in 2008, in the fall of 2008. So walking in and dealing with, okay, I'm the only one here, that's fine, but how do I succeed like everybody else? So I would do a lot of covering, which is pretty unfortunate. Um, I would see, you know, someone sitting next to me succeeding and doing really well and like, okay, how can I act more like him? How can I be more like him and show up more like him? Because he's succeeding. That's what you need to do to succeed. So I did that for a few years, which is obviously not the best. And as I got older, I started working and working in smaller teams, I guess, which was easier for me to show up as myself a little bit more often. And I think as you get older, you mature anyways. And, You think of things differently and your perspective matures. So I realized, you know, showing up as my unique self, instead of trying to cover up who I am, actually brought more opportunity to me. I had a different perspective, which meant I had a unique point of view and unique ideas too. So we all had the same challenges we were facing, you know, especially in engineering, you're, you're given a certain set of requirements you have to fall into in certain parameters. And while, you know, the majority of people I worked with from similar demographics would kind of fall into these, you know, solutions, A, B, and C, I was thinking of X, Y, and Z. So it was very different ideas and how to combat those solutions. And I think that unique perspective really helps in developing new technology, especially. So that was the biggest surprise. I kind of expected it going into college that I would be one of the fewer uh, women. Uh, I didn't expect to be the only woman in a lot of rooms but I got over that. And luckily, like I said, STEM outreach to girls, like Girl Scouts and everything has been phenomenal in the last few years. So as my little sister comes up, she's 12 now, she's into math, she's into science, and a bunch of her friends are too, like all her girlfriends. So that's exciting. And then on the same topic for business ownership, The big surprise was having to talk to people. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I am an introvert at heart. I am an engineer, right? That's my heart is I'm super shy. And it was very difficult for me to meet new people until very recently. So when I started my business, I was like, oh, perfect. It's writing. I'll sit alone by myself at my desk and write and write and write and I'll have a great impact. That's not the case. If you start a business, any business, you can't do it alone. You need your network. You need your support system. And as you interact with these people, you realize you have stuff to give too. So it's a two-way relationship. You're you're supporting all these people as they support you and you create this net so nobody falls through. So needing to meet people and put yourself out there has been the biggest surprise to me and definitely the biggest win, which I've grown in the last two or three years. Definitely.
1: the business ownership piece is the funniest thing because everybody who wants to build a business thinks I'm going to go be really good at what I do. For sure. And then they just kind of stop with the thinking about all the stuff that you have to do to pay the bills while being really good at what you do. Right. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, you've got to talk to people. You've got to sell yourself. You've got to build the connections. You've got to you know you've got to do your own books you've got like there's so much that has to happen right and so how did you you know as a as a self-proclaimed introvert how did you get more comfortable with networking because this is something people really struggle with especially people who are drawn toward and I don't want to generalize too much, but a lot of people who are drawn toward technical jobs, who are drawn yes, toward um, the analytical
3: brains, tend yeah, to the, be shy. the
1: geeky stuff, right? Like it's like mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to people. How did you get better at that, or how did you get more comfortable with it?
3: Yeah. So it was really hard at first. Um, I thought diving in headfirst, I've always done this where I'll come up with an idea and I'll go 300% into it. So I was like, oh, I'm going to sign up for all these networking events once I figured out this was something I had to do. And I started going and then I would have, you know, uh, a nervousness and I would just go hide. I wouldn't talk to people or I'd only meet one person and leave. So the way that I really learned how to network um, other than one-on-ones and meeting people through LinkedIn and everything was I actually joined a women business owners, uh, group. And so it was a safe place where I could practice, um, meeting people and learning who they were and more about them and and how to build relationships instead of just how to sell or, you know, what have you. So that helped tremendously just being able to meet people and like, a literal safe space where I could mess up completely and say, I'm so sorry, can I start again? And they'd say, of course, you know, this is where we practice. So finding that community of people I felt very comfortable with was huge for me. Now I can go into networking events and they don't have to be structured. And I can go up to a group of people and say, hi, I'm Sam. It's really great to meet you. Whereas, you know, two years ago, no chance I would have run out of the room. Right. (laughs) So definitely finding a place where you feel comfortable and practicing Practicing, 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 because you're going to fail many times and you'll pick yourself back up and learn from it and grow and practice and practice, and then you'll get more comfortable. So that's, that's how I figured it out anyways.
1: <laughs> and it, it reminds me as you were speaking that that's the networking group where you and I met.
3: That is. It's true. Yep. The WBO in, in, uh, in the Seattle area. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a fantastic organization. If you are a women business owner, definitely check it out. Yeah. Now,
1: does WBO have chapters elsewhere or is it purely a Seattle group?
3: Yeah, so right now we're focused in Washington. Um, There are conversations about, you know, we are on Zoom all the time anyway, so why not expand it? So um, anybody can join right now. There's no requirements or anything like that. It is when we are in person, it's more helpful to be local. But again, they might be expanding, they might be adding more chapters. So we'll see what that holds in the next year or two.
1: Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. And for reminding me about how great that group was, because it was it was an intimate group, but it was really welcoming, really open. Um, And someone there had invited me because um, my book Network Beyond Bias was the book club book that month.
3: And i sure, yeah,
1: I'd love to meet your members and talk. And so it was just it was such a great experience for me. And you all were so welcoming. So I can see why you Oh, I'm glad I can see why you were drawn to that group. And that was your your safe space to to kind of come out of your shell a little bit.
3: For sure, definitely.
1: I also want to go back to you know what you said about being a good technical writer and making the data um, and the meaning behind the data relevant to people who don't, you know. For example, I wouldn't look at a bunch of you know charts and graphs related to you know carbon outputs and understand what it meant and why it was important and what I could do with it. And I think right. there's such a gift in being able to bridge the gap between all of that technical stuff, right? All of the, the detail um, and really putting it into a format that, that people outside of that inner circle can consume.
3: For Um, sure. For sure.
1: Do you think, how do you think that gift has served you um, in terms of, kind of giving you the confidence to go out on your own.
3: Yeah. So this was actually another surprise I had or something I, I realized right around the same time that I was getting better, right around the same time that my paper was published and right around the same time I was, I was trying to figure out how I could have a better, bigger impact. Um, I never realized before this how difficult it is for engineers to write. Um, For the most part, again, I'm generalizing. There are plenty of engineers who can write very, very well, um, myself included. And you know, but for the most part, people tend to categorize themselves either as math and science people or as writing creative people, and that's not the case. Um, You know, if you're an engineer, you're very creative. If you're writing, you're very creative. Anyways, um, realizing that a lot of people tend to fall into one of those categories, I was like, oh, I'm. I can bridge that gap. I really like writing, and I find that I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> um, and it was just helpful. I think growing up with such writing centric people in my life. My mom is very much a writer. My best friend, she's a creative writer. That's what she does. Um, she hates math, always hated math. I was the only reason that she like passed a lot of classes. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. But finding that bridge really kind of spurred that idea that oh this is how i can have the impact because there are engineers who are working on really amazing stuff that everybody should know about that nobody knows about because they can't share their findings in any um easy to understand or accessible way you know so you know my my fifth grade sister should be able to understand your technology if she's reading your white paper she should be able to read it and say oh you're working on this because of this problem and so that's that's my goal is to try to bring those two brains together. So the brain of the engineer and the brain of the reader um, for understanding, for the betterment of everybody, right? Because when everybody understands what we're working on, the engineering world, then they are more willing to pour more resources into that and say, oh, this company needs to do well so that we can enjoy this benefit. Um, so that's, that's kind of my long-winded answer, but- <laughs> No, I think that's perfect. And it's, you know, and
1: it is so important, especially as we think about, um, I think academia, And I think white papers and these kinds of reports have maybe unintentionally, uh, but have been a tool for exclusion in a lot of fields, right? If we write something that's so opaque, no one can understand it. We get to feel better about ourselves, right? And we get to keep other people out. And I don't know if that's always been a conscious choice, but I think it's certainly, it's been a choice. Um, the sure. People that's, that's the
3: idea of the um, the ivory tower right yeah. you're all these academics and all these really well educated people who are super analytical and, and very good at doing what they're doing um, you know they're kind of over here and then the rest of the world is kind of over here so you have two different factions and really they're we're all working towards the same goals we all want, To live easier lives. We all want to live better lives. We want the planet to survive. Um, So, just kind of bridging that gap is super important. And I agree. You know, sometimes you'll read a scientific paper and you're like, I don't know what this is. I have an aerospace engineering degree. I should understand this. And I don't. Uh, This is the writer's fault. The author needs to fix this. So, it's that kind of bridge, I guess, that connection.
1: Yeah. Well, and just, you know, getting people, you know, younger people interested earlier is so important, right? Diversifying who's interested in solving these problems because we do need creatives who are thinking differently about the problems and the solutions than have been in the past. And if, if we're shutting people out with the language that we're using and we're making things so, um, so convoluted and so dense that we can't get new, new ideas in, right? Right. Then, then we're just
3: shutting off complete, huge possibilities, right? Exactly. Huge, huge um, awesome possibilities that will never be realized, right? So exactly, definitely yeah. need to be more inclusive, especially in the engineering realm where it's very um, data-driven, data-focused. Maybe not necessarily. Oh, how should we include more yeah. more perspectives?
1: But you know, it's that's not a problem that's exclusive to the engineering world, or you know, oh, it's sure, not sure. just the rocket scientists. And and that's why I wanted to bring it up because you know, a lot of times in business, when people think about diversity and inclusion. They think about hiring and they think about, you know, like, you know, things like, well, who's in our candidate pool, right? They're not thinking broadly about how do we solve really big problems long-term and where are those ideas going to come from and who are we solving them for or who are we solving them with? And so I think it's important for people to hear, you know, what you have to say about this, because if we can make information more accessible, if we can make the understanding of the problem more accessible, then we get better solutions overall. Regardless of what field we're in.
3: Definitely, definitely. Sam, if
1: somebody's not in engineering or they're not in this tech space um, with you already, if they're not, you know, I know technical writing is sort of its own niche within this space, but if somebody's looking to get into this industry, And maybe they've been told, oh, that's not a good feel for girls. Or, you know, maybe you should go into nursing or maybe you should go into education, which is like something. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure you heard that a few times in college. Have you ever considered nursing? And you're like, no, I want to build spaceships and stuff. (laughs) Nurses don't get to build spaceships. There's nothing wrong with nursing, but if you want to build spaceships, that's not the right career path. So somebody has been told that repeatedly, maybe because, you know, they don't fit the mold of, of what people think of when they think of rocket science. Um, what would you tell them about how they can get started?
3: Yeah, so um, I can share how I got started anyways. Um, So I'm from a family where nobody had gone to college before me. Uh, My dad's an electrician, you know, my mom is a call taker. So it's not like we're coming from that, that usual traditional standpoint. Um, And we didn't have a computer for most of my childhood, or internet, um, for that matter. So I spent a lot of time at the library, (laughs) you know, typing up Homework assignments or just doing homework assignments. It was also a place of concentration for me. Um, So I highly recommend research. I think for the most part, you know, most people these days have a phone or some way of getting into the internet and researching. So do a Google search, you know, what do these engineers do? What, what, um, how do you become an engineer? What, what schools really will support you? and of course, if you don't have the internet, go to your library. Your librarian wants to help you. They wanna see you succeed, especially younger people. You know, students, that's like their their mission is to make sure you succeed and you get the information you need Um, to build a better place so definitely check out your library definitely research and as silly as this sounds educational programming so (laughs) um, as a kid the only reason I knew what an engineer was was because I was a nerd and I watched PBS all the time I watched PBS I watched NOAA programs I watched Bill Nye um, you know all the classic science nerd kid things to do Um, just check it out especially if you don't have internet that was huge for me I remember when I was very, very young and saying to my dad, dad, I learned what an engineer is today. You know, they build rocket ships. Look at these people in these suits. They, uh, and you know, and they were in clean suits. So they had all this masks on and, and crazy equipment on, all this PPE. And I was like, they're building a spaceship. It's going to orbit Earth and it's going to Mars. And that's so cool. And he was like, all right, we're going to museums. You know, <laughs> he's, he's like, all right, we have to go and learn about this stuff now because he didn't know anything. So we all kind of pitched in to research it together, which was fantastic. Um, so definitely research as much as you can, learn as much as you can, and then don't necessarily put yourself in a hole don't pigeonhole yourself so that's kind of something that I fell into where I felt guilty leaving my aerospace trajectory um pun not intended (laughs) um and going into writing but I'm realizing I can have a much better impact here so don't necessarily pinhole yourself but just learn as much as possible I guess
1: yeah no that's great and I love that your parents were so um responsive to that and you know I'll tell on myself. I, my son, when he was my second son, when he was like five years old, um, he he was watching something on TV, and the the conversation on the you know like the channel changed, right? He was watching something on demand, and then it like rolled over to whatever channel had been on, and it had been on PBS. And I went in, I like walked through the living room, and he's watching Nova. And I said, "What are you watching, baby?" And he goes, "Oh, I'm watching this really cool show. It's about cold fusion." And then he starts explaining cold fusion to me. And I bring that up because (laughs) I didn't know what to do with that. I certainly didn't say, let's go to a museum. I was like, "Mm, okay. Um, But (laughs) the reason my six-year-old boy understood cold fusion was because of technical writers like you, Sam, who made that possible for him, right? Who made that accessible for him. And he could, he could explain to me what he had just seen. So, you know. That's
3: I hadn't thought of before, but that that is exciting. Yeah, it's kind of come full circle. I just I always loved like there was the show on at 7am on Saturdays I always watched called Science Court. And it was the nerdiest thing. And it would explain why people were or were not guilty. It was all animated. It wasn't, you know, real cases, but why they were or were not guilty because of scientific reason and, and logic and data. And it, that was huge for me. And I, I always think of that, you know, whenever I come across different arguments, I'm like, that's not a logical argument, or it is or, you know, where's your data to prove that? that that decision. So um, yeah, thanks for that insight. That's, that's really nice to hear. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: But you know it, it matters, right? The work that you do matters and it, it, it'll matter to a whole new generation of, of scientists someday. I mean,
3: that's it exciting. makes a big difference.
1: <laughs> um, you know, you you brought up earlier about being the only, right The only woman in your in your programs, right the, the only young woman in your Calc 2 class freshman year, you know, the only brown woman, right. in the programs. And I would imagine that that's not changed a whole lot. I mean, you said you're still one of just a few um, people who look like you or people who have similar background from you background to you, where do you go for community? And then, then especially you add to that, that you're an entrepreneur. So you spend a lot of time by yourself, even though you have to talk to other people, right. Entrepreneurship can be very lonely. Um, Other than the, the women's business group that you belong to, where else do you go for community?
3: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, For the younger folk uh, listening, I would recommend looking into, a lot of schools are coming up with um, ACAs, which are alumni of color associations or, you know, students of color associations, different uh, groups that are focused on who you are and the unique perspective you bring in. I actually never joined any of those groups. I was, uh, again, out of fear. I uh, am only half brown, so I thought I didn't fit or it wasn't my spot, uh, unfortunately. Now I see that's not correct. You know, anybody can join and they do welcome anybody. If you're completely 100%, you know, Polish, you are welcome in the Brown Society because they want your perspective too. Um, Anyways, so there's lots of ACAs. um, And then I personally found a lot of community obviously outside of the WBO, just within my own support system. Um, so like you said before, I am very fortunate. I have a very, very supportive family. My parents have always wanted to see all of their children thrive. I have a bunch of siblings, so <laughs> um, so I've had that growing up. and. I recommend always surrounding yourself with people who want to see you succeed and that people you want to see succeed. So it's a two-way street. You want to see them succeed and they want to see you succeed. And that's how you build a support system that catches everybody in the net. You know, if somebody falls, you're picked back up. So that's probably the most important, I would say. And just as a tip, never be the smartest person in the room. So when you're you know, always look to learn, always look to grow because you're not the smartest person. There's always somebody smarter. How can you learn from them? Even if it's in something that you may not have a huge interest in, just learn about them, learn what they do, why they're interested in it. And then you can see the bridges between and the parallels between your interests, their interests, and you can support each other, even if you're in different industries or different work. Um, So that's probably my, my recommendation.
1: That is fantastic advice. And I have to say that when the rocket scientist says, don't be the smartest person in the room, we should probably all the rest of us listen.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, thank you. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Sam, I want to thank you so much for being on the show, for sharing your story and your expertise and, um, and your career journey with us. You know, it's, it's stories like this, that, that inspire others um, to tell their stories, to share their stories and to maybe, you know, Try something new, even though there's a you know the risk of being the only, or the risk of having to talk to people. <laughs> Maybe they don't yeah, want to do that. So for sure, for sure. Thank so much. Thank you for your vulnerability and and your openness
3: today. Oh, you're most welcome, and thank you so much for having me.
0: Living corporate is brought to you by the Access Point. The reality is, this is the largest influx of black and brown talent corporate America has ever had, and as a result, a variety of talent entering the workforce are first-generation professionals. The other reality? Most of these folks aren't learning what it means to navigate a majority white workplace in their college classes. Enter The Access Point, a live weekly web show within the Living Corporate Network that gives black and brown college students the real talk they need and likely haven't heard elsewhere. Every week, our hosts and special guests are dropping gems, so don't miss out. Check out The Access Point airing every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard on livingcorporate.tv.
1: Okay, how much did you love Sam? Uh, Her positivity just radiates out of her and I absolutely enjoy talking to her so much. What I loved about this interview was, you know, the way that she took all these things that make her super unique, you know, the kind of her left brain, right brain uh, combo, And she made this happen for herself, right? She found her niche in the place where she can give back to the technical community and contribute to the technical community in the ways that really resonated with her at a very young age. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, don't forget to subscribe to Living Corporate and share us with your friends and colleagues. And you can help us out by leaving a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe you're thinking, but there are only five stars. Okay, give us all those stars, but then go the next step by leaving a couple of sentences in your own words, telling us what you loved about the episode or about the series. Don't forget to visit living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcasts, videos, web shows, and more. This is Amy C. Wanninger from See It to Be It, and I will see you next week.